If you guys got your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Job chapter 20. We're going to continue working our way through the book of Job. And as we do, um, I just want to remind us the point of view that we're coming from. I think uh, a biblical point of view, chapter 1 and 2, God declares Job as his champion. Chapter 42, God says Job did not sin with his lips, but that Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu uh, needed to pray for forgiveness that the judgments that had come or the plagues that had come on Job uh, wouldn't come on them. So we know that Job was in a place in spiritual battle doing battle against the enemy. Satan was moving against him not only physically, not only through the loss of all of his children and all of his stuff, um, not only through the disease that was, was running through his body, we need to remember as we go through Job, Job was dying. He wasn't just hurt. He was dying. He was going to die if the Lord didn't uh, intervene in what was going on in his life. And Job's friends, I think they come to Job and they have a heart to help Job. But they get caught up in, a, in sometimes concepts, I think, that still uh, permeate the church today. And that is what we might call a doctrine of retribution. And so that is the basis of their argument. The doctrine of retribution, I mean, if you're bad, God gets you. If you're good, God blesses you. That's uh, the short uh, uh, way to to look at it. The idea, the concept is we sometimes, as, as men and women of the church, as men and women following Christ, struggle (coughs) with uh, what we might call the concept of sowing and reaping. When we go to Galatians chapter 6 and we read, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Galatians chapter 6 is talking about the difference between a man coming to faith in Christ and being saved, or not coming to faith in Christ and going to corruption. Sometimes what we do, I catch myself doing it. We put ourselves in a position to say, well, what you sow, you reap. I know I've said it myself. You want more love, sow more love, right? You want more friends, sow friendship. And I think that is a good principle. Are you with me? But a principle is not always a good doctrine. What do I mean? I think Pastor Saeed is doing what God wants him to do. But you definitely will not say he's blessed right now. In Mosul, Iraq, there were 2,000 Christians. ISIS came in. There are zero Christians in Mosul now. They're all dead or fleeing. And the majority are dead. You cannot tell me that's God's judgment for their sin. Right? And they were not sowing hatred. But what did Jesus tell us? Jesus told us the world did what? Hated me, so what will they do to you? Hate you. Hate you. Right? They're going to hate you. And that's what we see happening. Agreed? We see it all around the world. There, You want to check out Voice of the Martyrs. I think everybody should be a part of Voice of the Martyrs. I think everybody who can be should uh, should subscribe or be a part of far-reaching ministries all of those guys are are people who work on behalf of the persecuted church and in trying to help in whatever way they can uh, admittedly there's not a lot we can do in terms of relieving their uh, persecution there's a lot we can do in terms of supporting them scripturally right we get, we're supposed to pray for our brothers in chains as though chained with them To have that passion for them. But the point is, when we look at the reality of the world, it's not cut and dry. If you're good, good things happen. If you're bad, bad things happen. You get what I'm saying? And so there's a, there's a concept that, that permeates. I'm not saying it's everything Job's friends say, but there's a concept that permeates what they say, especially as we get deeper and deeper. We're in the second discourse right now. (coughs) When we get to the third discourse, it's going to get worse. Uh, of them declaring Job's wickedness. Now, 
we say that word and we want, to, we want to define it. So let me define it for you biblically when we look at the Hebrew word for wickedness. When they say you're wicked, they're saying to Job, you don't have a relationship with God. They're not saying you're sinful. Because Job over and over again in the letter, or in the book of Job, says, I know I'm a sinner. The question is not a question of, am I a sinner and do I deserve only good to happen in my life? That's not the question. Job's question is, I know I'm a sinner, but I have a relationship with God. And in the past, when things happen, I call out to God and God would answer me. And I don't understand what's happening now. God's quiet. He's silent. I'm suffering. I don't know what's going on. And the friends who came to comfort him are smitten in their theology. Because their theology is <clears throat> excuse me, based on the idea... That the wicked suffer. And we're going to see it as we look at it tonight again. And we'll see it all the way through. That, that the wicked suffer and that God's retribution comes quickly. That was their theology. If, if Job was right. If Job was right and he has a relationship with God. And God has allowed these things to happen in his life. Then I'm not safe either. And the point is. God, Jesus Christ never called us into a relationship with Him to follow Him because it's safe. He never called us to go and follow Him because life was going to be easy. But there's a lot of churches that teach that, isn't there? A lot of churches say, if you follow Christ, if, you, if you're truly one of His, He'll bless you. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't bless you. Absolutely He blesses. I'm just saying... God, that's not a prerequisite. If I follow the Lord, blessing doesn't naturally follow uh, in terms of worldly possessions and wealth and health. Sometimes people who are very committed to the Lord die very early. You guys remember a fellow named Nate Saint? What about Jim Elliott? You remember those guys? They were two 20-year-olds that were part of a mission... In 1958, in Brazil, reaching out to the Aka Indians. They had already made contact. They had already begun exchanging gifts. They had committed their lives to serving God. They're in their 20s. Their wives and their children are in the jungle with them, doing the things that God wants them to do. And I will tell you, it was God's will that every one of those men was killed on that beach. And the reason I'll tell you that is because as a result of those uh, martyred lives, those men losing their life, their wives, Elizabeth Elliot, Nate Saint's wife, I can't remember her name, she went to the same village that killed her husband. And they all got saved. Because they experienced forgiveness and grace and all this incredible... It wasn't prosperity that brought that the lord whispers in our pleasure he shouts in our pain we hear god most readily in the furnace of affliction now if you think i'm crazy search the scriptures it's in the furnace of affliction god's people are when what what makes the church grow man the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church right you persecute the church, what happens? That's right. The ISIS can cut off everybody's head they want to. The Spirit of God is going to move because people are going to see the compassion and the love and the care of the real believers that are in the area. And they're going to reach out and lives are going to change. And I told you already, I think Pastor Saeed in prison is going to lead someone in ISIS to the Lord. And he's going to go back to ISIS. And a lot of things may change. I don't know. We might be seeing the beginning of the end. But it doesn't change our job, does it? Go into all the world, make disciples. The important thing is, this is Jesus' call to us. Come and follow me. His call to us is not, come, I have a bed of roses. I have a smooth path. I have an easy walk. And if you you give your life to me, everything's going to be better. Now, is everything going to be better? I think so, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to suffer. It's going to be better in the sense of, I have Christ. What can anybody do to me? But don't forget what Romans 8 said. Romans 8 said, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. 
in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, I have the comfort of knowing that He is for me. And we are more than conquerors. And no matter what the worst, the meanest, honoriest, ugliest, ISIS, meanest, baddest, smelling breath guy comes at me with a machete and whacks my head off, what's the most he can accomplish? Sending me to Jesus. There's no downside. So, that's the purpose of Job. Not to, I don't believe Job is about suffering. I believe Job is about spiritual warfare. And Job is embattled in spiritual warfare. And it's about well-meaning friends who want to encourage him, but their theology has got in a box that he, he, don't, he, he, he don't fit <coughs> with what they see in Job. The Bible says when they saw Job, they were struck silent for seven days. Look, I, I don't want us to lose the horror of what they saw. People would not look at Job. Don't just see a dirty guy sitting on an ash heap crying over the things he lost. Flesh for flesh, man, Satan obliterated his flesh. Obliterated him. The poetry that they use throughout Job when they talk about him is that his bones are showing through his skin. He looks anorexic. He hasn't eaten for however long this has been going on. He's told us over and over again, I can't eat. I can't eat. He's got open sores all over his body. He's, he is, his skin is blackened. So the, the Bible tells us again and again when Job, Job's going to tell his friends, look at me. But they can't. Because when they look at him, he is a, a well of suffering that you can't imagine. And never does Job curse God. He complains. And that we struggle with that. If we're honest, I struggle with that. Every time I read about the children of Israel complaining, it, it irritates me. But you know, when Moses struck the rock, and he said, Must we give you rock from this stone? What did God tell Moses? Why, why did you do that? I wasn't mad. Moses misrepresented God. Job complains, and God doesn't condemn Job. We're, God's going to talk to him. And God don't... God, Job stops talking because God's talking and he realized, I don't have nothing. God says, Job, you wanted to make your case to me, make it. And Job says, I would be a fool to speak. That's pretty smart. <coughs> That's a pretty smart call on, on Job's part because he understood. I'm in God's hands. And he, over and over again, he fills us with wonder, doesn't he? He tells us, um, the Lord blesses. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? He told us, shall we not accept evil from the hand of God? We accept good from the hand of God. He said, last time, my hope is not that, that I'm going to be delivered. My hope is not that I'm going to be cured. My hope is, I know my Redeemer lives. Job's hope was his relationship with God. And his friends couldn't handle the concept that you have a relationship with God and this is happening to you. That doesn't make sense. And oftentimes we struggle with that. We struggle with the prosperity of the wicked. We're going to talk about that tonight. So when we look at Job, we want to remind ourselves. Chapter 1 and 2, God said, Job's my champion, nobody's like him. Chapter 42, God said, Job never sinned with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then God dresses Eliphaz, who is the oldest, and I believe all of the others, there's four in totality, <coughs> and says, you need to pray. And you need to hope Job's willing to pray for you guys. Because you did not say what was right about me. So that's our guideline that we're, that we're following through. So as we come to, to chapter 20, we come to Zophar. Zophar, the Naath, the well, you guys see it. Naamathite, he answered. Now, as we go, discourse one was began polite, right, and 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 in a certain degree. But as Job continued to hold fast what what the Bible calls his integrity, the idea that I do have a relationship with God. When they say you're wicked, the wicked that word wicked is not sinful. That word wicked is uh, someone who has uh, abhorred God or rebelled against God. 
It's, it means you don't have a relationship with God. Because if you did, this wouldn't happen to you. you. guys with me? So so he goes, therefore, my anxious thoughts make me answer. Have you guys ever felt like this? Listen, because of the turmoil within me, I've heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. Do you know what the Bible tells in James? Let's flip over there real quick. James chapter 1. <coughs> So then, verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be what? Swift to hear hear and? Slow to speak. And slow to wrath. And here's the part I love. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a guy I was, I still today, he, he, he don't live around here no more, he lives in Oregon. <coughs> but I still uh, talk to him, try to minister to him. Him and I, we, 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 he's got that verse memorized. He doesn't have it uh, uh, stamped into his behavior yet, but he's got it memorized. He's done jail time, he's, but the problem is, what happens is he gets mad, and he, he blows up and spouts off, and... Trouble happens, right? When we were five-year-olds, we could do that. When you're 25 years old and you beat somebody in a club, you go to jail, right? A five-year-old throws the same fit, but he can't do the same damage. And so, but the point is, look, we gotta, you got to slow down. You have self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? According to, to Galatians chapter 5. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And James tells us we need to be, we have, you know the saying, two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you talk. Every time I respond out of wrath, it makes a situation worse. Every time I respond because I'm angry. And that's exactly what Zophar is talking about right now. You've made me angry. What you said, Job, has made me angry. And I, got, I can't hold my tongue no more. I just got to go. And so he lays into him pretty good. But the important thing is the wrath of man does not... Listen, it doesn't say sometimes. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We got to be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Right? Wrath is an outpouring of our anger. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Sin's not anger. Right? Anger's not sin. I can be angry, but I have to control the outburst and, and what happens in that or with that outburst. And that's what he's, and that's what Zophar is doing. Look, I, <clears throat> I've been anxious thoughts make me answer. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I've been barely able to hold my peace and now I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go. Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on the earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? That is an inaccurate statement. In fact, if I go to Genesis chapter 6, it says, My uh, my soul will not always strive with man, his years shall be 120 years. I wouldn't call that short. I wouldn't call that short time. When I go to 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but He is what? Long-suffering toward us, desiring that what happened? No one would perish. Remember we talked about who's the most wicked king in all of the nation of Israel? Manasseh. He reigned the longest. Good kings died young. Manasseh reigned 65 years he reigned. Why? He was the most wicked king they ever had. Because he's the fulfillment of 2 Peter 3.9. Because God waited and what happened at the end of Manasseh's life? He repented. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering, desiring that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That there would be a life... (coughs) So the idea that the wicked is short, it's not necessarily true in the way I think he means it. 
I don't think he means it like I would mean it when I said, well, you know, the wicked, they're going to, they have an end. Job's going to talk about that when he gets to talk. The wicked have an end. Their, their end is going to come. Their reign here, even if they reign here 70 years, it's short compared to eternity, right? I, I get all that, but that's not what he's saying. And what we need to understand when Zophar gets into this, he's not just talking about a random person. Who's he talking to? Job. So when he says, Job, the wicked don't prosper, he's saying, Job, you don't prosper. Look where you're at. You're all busted up. You're wicked. You don't have a relationship with God. <clears throat> so, he says, the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. And then he goes on. He says, <clears throat> though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Oh, don't that sound like nice Bible words? I won't tell you what it really says. I guarantee somebody be offended. But... He's saying, doesn't matter how high you, Zophar, doesn't matter how high he gets, a wicked can get all the way up to the stars. But all he's going to be is a pile of dung. I don't disagree. In the end, when he stands before God, where I disagree with is that that happens every time on earth. And so, it's the doctrine of retribution that God's going to get him now. God's going to get him. Absolutely. There is a judgment day someday. God's going to judge every man. Every wicked man will stand before a holy God. But my my desire is not to see that. My call is to try to intervene so that the wicked don't stand before a righteous God, but that the wicked repent and come to salvation. And sometimes that's hard for us to deal with. Because in my heart, what I would like to do is fly over to Iraq and just, I don't know, I, I still got Marine Corps in me. I think I can get some guys 500 yards, you know, give me enough ammo and a, and a nice quiet place to sit. But that's, God never called me to that. Every one of those guys that I shoot goes to hell. Do you know that Nate, Saint, and Jim Elliott on that beach when they were attacked by Indians with sharp sticks? Do you know that they had a pistol and a rifle? Do you know that they could have killed every one of them? And everyone that they killed would have been a, a victory for Satan. So they let those guys kill them. The pistol they shot in the air to try to scare him away. The rifle they never touched. And they killed all of those guys, four of them, on that beach with sharp sticks. Spears. 1958. Trust me, a bullet did more damage than a spear. But they said, that's not what God's called us to. God has called us <coughs> to preach the gospel to them. And if we kill them, we can't do that. So they willingly died. Now, these are 20-year-old guys with little children. 20, 29 and 27, I think, between Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. I, I still think their story is an amazing story. And then the fact that their wives and their children went and ministered to those guys. And that's awesome. That's what God's called us to. That's, what he, that's why the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. What? Ah, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. He didn't say, as my job. So my job would be to stand in front of ISIS and get as much of the gospel out to them as I could. That's what God calls us to. In season and out of season, right? Convince, rebuke, share, preach the word. That's the call. That's hard to swallow sometimes. Jesus blew everybody's mind when he said, turn the other cheek. Didn't he? 
I don't think he meant all these other things. I think he meant what he said. Don't take vengeance. He says, when your enemy hates you, to do what? Yeah. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. He says, what, what advantage do you have for loving the people that love you? Everybody can do that. I say, love the ones who hate you. That's what changes the world. The truth of the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer absolutely sold out for God whose thought is not for himself but for that dirt bag he can't stand. That's a crazy call. But that is the call. That is what God (coughs) is looking for from us. Anyway, he says this wicked guy will perish. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He'll fly away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. The idea is the wicked are forgotten. We talked about this last time when we we looked at Bildad's speech because they're so similar. We remember Hitler. We remember Stalin. Do we remember Idi Amin? Those are all wicked men. What about the various serial killers? Has their memory faded? They don't have no power over us. I agree with all that, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, these guys will all fade away. They'll all go away. They they won't have anything that they can do. And this is what he means. He says, though you may have had money and all this, the wicked will will have to take care of the poor. He'll have to pay them back. Look at 10. It says... uh uh, his children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will restore his wealth. So even though the wicked ripped off the poor, one day the children of the wicked, God will require them to give that money back. Yeah, there'll be payday someday when they stand before God. Vengeance is his, not mine. But it's not always today. This world is wicked and broken and hurtful toward one another. There's evil here, real evil. People do horrible things to one another. And the God of the universe, in whose hands it is, has the power to wipe all that out, chooses to be long-suffering, desiring that no one perish, but that they repent. So God holds his hand now. Does he hold his hand forever? When the martyrs are under the throne in Revelation and they're saying, How long, O Lord, till you will, will have vengeance on those who have slain us? What, is, what does the Lord say? I'm going to do it because I'm tired of them killing you guys. He says, In a little while when your number is complete. When all those who are going to die have died. When I've waited past the point when no one's going to change, then I'm bringing it. I love that about God because that's how I got in the family. He should have judged me a long time ago, should have burned me, should have cracked me, should have broke me, should have thrown me away. But he waited. And I came. And I can't withhold that from another. Though it take longer and cost me more. So we preach. So we share. So we lay it all out. It says his bones are full of vigor. But it will lie down with him in the dust. The idea is... Job's sitting there all, all shrunken up and his bones are sticking out. He's saying, look, I know there's vigor still in your bones, but you're dead. You're going down. You'll be in the dust. Though evil is sweet in the mouth. Now he's going to start talking about the loves of the wicked man and how they'll be judged. He says, though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth, His food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. I don't disagree. The Bible tells us that sin is pleasant for a season, right? But but its goal is to kill us. 
And in essence, this is what he's talking about. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under the tongue, the sweetness of sin will turn to bitterness in his stomach. But for the wicked man who doesn't know God, what does he care? The sin that he's in does not always cause him to turn. It does not always cause him to change. But he goes on and he tells us he swallows down riches and vomits them up again. So though he gathers wealth, his wealth won't satisfy. Yeah, that's true. Wealth doesn't satisfy. How many guys we know that have money out their ears, but still in the end of the day swallow a shotgun or, or hang themselves in despair? They have it all. But it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill the hole. It doesn't meet that need. Only one thing will do that. He will suck the poison of cobras and the viper's tongue will slay him. Now this, you can't always see it in the, in the English, so let me give it to you. The idea, the word he will suck the poison is the same word that you would use of a baby suckling on his mother's breast. So the idea is like a baby suckles his mother, the wicked man suckles on the cobra. Drinking down as much poison and evil as he can get. Taking in as much as he can. And that poison, the viper's tongue, is going to slay him. He will not see the streams or the rivers flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down. And from the proceeds of business, he will get no enjoyment. Now, now we're getting outside of true. Because at least temporarily, we see all those things happen. We see people get more, 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 get more, 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 gather it up. They're finding some pleasure in it. The time comes when that's empty. But keep in mind, their view is to Job. They're looking at this guy without anything, and they're saying, it was bound to come upon you. Because you don't have a relationship with God. You were faking it all these years. You're a hypocrite, and you need to repent. But in chapter 1 and 2, God said, Job's my champ. There's no one on earth like him. He's, he's laying it out for him that the, the sight of God's blessings will bring no happiness. Even a wicked man who walks out into the woods and sees a waterfall or a piece of beauty finds joy in that. In seeing that. But the idea, he, he carries it <coughs> a little bit beyond, I think, you may disagree with me, but that's okay. And it says that, that he will restore that for which he labored. He's got to give his stuff back. He will get no enjoyment, for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build. Now remember, all these are accusations against Job. The reason this happened to you, Job, I knew you were a wealthy man. The Bible tells you he was the richest man in the East. So the accusation is, you got it by ripping off the poor. You got it, they don't know that. You get what I'm saying? Please understand, when the Bible talks about if you have ought against your brother, to take it to your brother, it's, it's, it's calling for two or three witnesses. You guys have all heard that. Two or three witnesses are, that word witness is someone who saw it. Not someone who heard about it from you. If you have three people who saw an event take place, and they go sit down and talk to a brother, or talk to a sister, or talk to somebody who has wronged them, that's what it's talking about. What we have going on here is... Probably a little worse than hearsay because nobody even said this is happening. They're just making assumptions based on his suffering. We can't always do that. Does everyone who has cancer, do they have it because of sin in their life? What about people who are born blind? Which sin? This man or his mother? Is that what they asked Jesus? What did he say? Neither, but that the glory of God would be evident, right? That the works of God could be worked while it was day. And he was there to work the work of God. So, that's not always the case. I'm not saying it's never the case. But I'm saying it's not always. And if it's not always, we can't make those kind of assumptions like he's making here. Because he knows no quietness in his heart. He doesn't have any peace. He will not save anything he desires. He's going to lose it all. Nothing is left for him to eat. Everything will be taken away. This is the point he's making. 
For the wicked man that God judges, he's going to take away everything. He's going to take away everything. It does not always happen. Look, Satan don't care. Why do people consistently say, you know, what? before I came to life in Christ, things were smoother. Now I'm a believer and there's all this stuff going on in my life. What's going on? Well, you're on the, on the radar now, brother. Satan knows who you are. You want to live at peace and go to hell? Knock yourself out. But once you come to salvation, once you come to relationship with Christ, you should expect the attacks of the enemy because it is in the furnace of affliction that we grow. It's in the struggle that we get stronger. And so God allows those things in our life to develop within us the character necessary that we would cling to our hope, which is in Christ. So that it should be anticipated. We do a disservice to a person we lead to Christ if we tell them all your problems are going to be solved. Oh, you're going to have lots of problems. Tomorrow you're going to wake up and have the same problems you had today, only now you have an answer. Now you have the power to overcome. Now you have the Holy Spirit within you to give you what you need so that you can attain the victory. Now you are more than conqueror. But it doesn't mean there won't be suffering, and there won't be persecution, and there won't be hardship. But that's kind of the idea that they have. That does the, everything that the wicked have always taken away? Well, sometimes the wicked die with all their money. They don't take any of it with them. So in that case, it's all taken away, right? And Job's going to make that point when we get to him. But look, let's take a look. <clears throat> Nothing is left for him to eat, therefore his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, God will cast on him the fury of his wrath, and it will rain on him while he is eating. So the wicked will be enjoying the stuff, but God's going to get them. In, in verse 24, it says the lifestyle of the wicked is going to be exposed to the world. Right? Beware your sin will find you out. When we talk about that, you're talking about a believer. Unbeliever don't care. It says, he will flee from the iron weapon and a bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of his body and the glittering point comes out of his gall. That's the, God's judgment will be like a sword thrust through the body. Terrors will come upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. <clears throat> An unfanned fire will consume him. It shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. So there's going to be no escape. You're, you're, it's going to happen. You're guaranteed. And then look at verse 27. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. Your sin will be revealed. Now Job, we're in chapter 20. Job has already, on a number of occasions, cried out to God. And said, tell me my sin and I'll repent. Why didn't God tell him a sin? Because in chapter 1 and 2, the Bible said he didn't have one. That this was not a judgment for sin. This was a spiritual battle between Job and the devil. And the devil said, I can get Job to quit you, God. I'll make him suffer and he'll quit you. He'll give up. He'll stop. He'll throw in the towel. He'll curse you to your face. And God said, no, he won't. And Job's in spiritual battle. And he's fighting the spiritual battle. And his friends, in that struggle of the spiritual battle, they're struggling with their theology. And I think Satan is using their lack of compassion to try to, uh, um, uh, you know, discourage Job. But Job is, he's connected to the Lord. He don't understand what's going on, and just so you know, God never tells him why. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, God will tell you all the whys. It just says, God's for him, not against him, no matter how it looks, no matter how it feels. He goes on and says, not only the heavens will reveal his iniquity, the earth will rise up against him, and the increase of his house will depart. You're going to lose everything. So you see the point. He's looking at him saying, this is what happens to the wicked. So if this is what happens to the wicked, you are wicked. You don't have a relationship with God. <clears throat> The increase of his house, his goods will flow away. 
Verse 29 tells us the point he's making. Look at it. This is the portion from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. This is what happens to the wicked man. It is, in essence, ancient prosperity doctrine. The wicked will suffer and the righteous won't. The only problem is that's, that's even by Genesis chapter 11, right? That's not been true, has it? Who was righteous? Cain or Abel? Who died? Abel. Who was wicked? Cain. Who lived and was given extended life and a seal upon him so that God or no one would take vengeance against him. Cain. Why? That he would have time to repent. Abel didn't need time. Abel didn't need it. All Cain could do is take his life and Abel is standing in the presence of God. No downside. But Cain needed time. Cain needed the opportunity. He needed the opportunity to to repent. So this is the portion. This is God's judgment on the wicked. So Job's going to answer. Chapter 21. He says, listen carefully to my speech. And let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. And after I have spoken, keep mocking. That's sarcasm. It does my heart good every once in a while to see sarcasm in the Bible. Probably not as often as I respond with sarcasm. But I'm working on that. But this is what Job's saying. Look, bear with me and let me share what's wrong with, with your concept of how this works. And afterwards, you can keep yelling at me. So... As for me, is my complaint against man. And if it were, why would I not, why should I not be impatient? Job's saying, my complaint is not, man didn't do this to me. He said, I was robbed by men, wasn't he? He was robbed by men, but his kids were taken by a tornado, strong wind. And the boils on his body, he's saying, man didn't do this to me. Man might have been a part of it. Man might have been involved. But our, weapon, but, our, but our battle is not against flesh and blood. Job's recognizing, I, I'm in a spiritual battle and my complaint's not with man. My complaint's with God. I don't understand what's going on. He never charges God with wrong. He just says, I have a complaint. I don't understand what's going on. And which of us haven't said that? Which of us going through a hard time haven't had a complaint? Does it not do your heart good to know that God wasn't angry at Job, though he complained? Do you really think that in your anger and in your wrath, that God is blind to what you're thinking, though you haven't said it? That God doesn't know your heart? How many times did Jesus, when the Pharisees asked him a question, does the Bible say, and Jesus answered their heart? They said these words, but Jesus didn't answer that. He answered what was going on in here. He knows. Now, I'm not going to say, I think people go too far with this concept. And they say, so if, you, if it's already in your heart, just speak it out. No, don't be dumb. Job never cursed God, but he did make his complaint. He did say, I don't understand what's happening, God. Show me what I've done wrong. If I've sinned, show me. He cried out to God, kill me. I don't want to live anymore. But he never said what Satan wanted him to say. I hate you. You've done all this to me. I didn't deserve any of this. He did not curse God. He just cried out for his help. He cried out the hurt in his heart. He says... In verse 5, look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. This is where I'm talking about Job's, his friends can't even look at him. You know, it's very Middle Eastern. If you see somebody in intense suffering or someone who's very uh, uh, covered with leprosy or <coughs> some kind of disease, still rabbis today, they don't touch them, they won't look at them, they'll talk to them by looking off to the side. So Job's saying, look at me, look at, look at what's going on in my life. Put your hand over your mouth. And look at me. They, 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 the Bible tells when they first saw him in chapter, uh, chapter 2, they were astonished. 
at, at what had been happening to him, what was going on in him. Even when I remember, I'm terrified. Now, Job don't have a mirror, so he can't see his face all the time. You guys ever had, like, get hit with some, you know, crazy thing? What's that stuff? I always got the wrong word for it. Shingles. I, I, for some reason, I always want to say scabies. That's bad. Shingles. Sometimes people get shingles. Sometimes they're on the inside. Sometimes they're on the outside. Very, very painful. Very painful. Well, you may, you may have the mumps, or you may, maybe you got into an accident, you got banged up in the accident, and you're all swollen. You can forget what you look like until you look in a mirror, right? You look in a mirror and go, oh my goodness. Man, that swelling needs to go down. Or maybe you're on medication, you're taking steroids, and it makes you puffy. And you look at your face, and you go, whoa, look at that. Holy. What am I going to do about, that's crazy, I could get off these pills. But, we forget what we look like. Job says, when I, when, I, when I remember, even I'm terrified. I mean, I feel just like you guys. And trembling takes hold of my flesh. I don't know what's happening in my life. And then he, look at verse 7. This is the reality. Why do the wicked live and become old? Job knows he has a righteous relationship with God. And he's suffering. And he sees the wicked, and he wants to know, why is this happening to me and not to them? And that's legitimate. The psalmist says the same thing, right? Asaph says the same thing. I almost lost heart when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That that they get away with all this stuff, but yet I'm suffering. He goes on, he says, and become mighty in power. See, Zophar's idea was they become weak. But Job says, no, they they get strong. They get strong. They become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. He says, all those wicked, they still have their kids. Mine are all gone. Their houses are safe. So not only (coughs) you don't understand the wicked, he says they are, Job's experiences, they get strong. Their houses are safe. My house is a heap. Neither is the rod of God upon them. God is not punishing them like he's punishing me. What does the Bible say? Who does the Lord chastise? Those he loves. Now, I make a case God loves the world, but he only chastises his sons. That's what the the Hebrews tells us. The chastisement from a father is to his son. When they become a son, they can expect the rod of God. But, but Job says, rod of God's on me, not on them. And he don't understand it. Why, why is the rod of God not upon them? Their bull breeds without failure. Every time I turn around, their, their bull is getting the cows pregnant and have more cows. Job's like, seems like things are harder for me. Their cow calves without miscarriage. Seems like they, they are blessed. They are successful. Is his point. They are successful. And their children dance. And they sing to the tambourine and the harp. And rejoice to the sound of the flute. Don't you hear Job's broken heart? That they got all their kids. I don't have mine. I don't understand. And I've been with... Moms and dads in a hospital when those things have happened. And that's exactly how they feel. And it's not a sin against God for them to look up to heaven and say, Lord, why'd you take my baby? Why'd you take my son? I don't understand. That's not a sin. That was the cry of Job's heart. That was his pain. What do we do as brothers? We, we don't need to come and give him a theology lesson. Well, God's sovereign. and We come alongside and we put our arms around him. We cry with him. And we lift him up and we say, I'm going to help you, brother. I'm going to help you get through it. God will give us the strength we need. But you don't got to have an answer for why. If God don't give an answer for why, why do you need to have one? We're plagued with it, right? We'd like to know. A lot of people say, man, I get to God, I'm going to ask Him why. Well, I don't think you will. When you see God, you're going to be so blown away, you're not going to have any questions. You'll be like Job. I don't have nothing to say. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm here, man. Woohoo! I made it! Man, I got a little smoke on my heels, but I'm here. Man, it's, it'll be totally different. Well, Job goes on. He says, after speaking about their kids, um, he says, they spend their days in wealth, and in a moment they go down to the grave. So they, they, he says, in my experience, I don't see the wicked lose everything and God judge them. I see them have wealth and then they die. They don't take it with them. They don't take it with them. But, but in a moment they go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us. This is the wicked's attitude toward God. For we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who's the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we have if we pray to Him? He's talking about the wicked. That's why I'm saying the, the term wicked is not just sinner. It's someone who is in rebellion against God, who has no relationship with God. That Job says, this is what they say. Man, God should throw lightning at them. But he doesn't. What profit do we have if we pray to him? Why should we pray to him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. Oh, you get what he's saying? Isn't it because they're so smart? If they have prosperity, that's God-given. That's right. That's God-given. He raises up kings and brings down kingdoms. So their, their, their prosperity not because they're good. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. He's saying, I don't understand the wicked. I don't understand... All these things that are going on. He says in verse 17, How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? How often does their destruction come upon them? Sometimes it happens and they're destroyed. But for the most part, he says, I see the wicked doing okay. How long did it take God to bring the flood? And it wasn't, it wasn't an instantaneous judgment. Generation after generation after generation. Wickedness after wickedness after wickedness. And God withheld judgment until that day the judgment comes. Because God says, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. But that the wicked would repent and live. He waits. It doesn't mean he never gets, he never doesn't bring judgment. He does bring judgment. But he waits. What about the Canaanites? How long did he wait for the Canaanites? You remember when God was giving the prophecy to, to Abraham, what he told Abraham? He said, Abraham, your people who are blessed, who I have called, are going to be slaves for 400 years. Until the iniquity of the Canaanites is complete. He said, God said, your people are going to suffer. And I'm not going to judge those wicked people for 400 years. Because I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. But that they would turn, repent, and live. Those are hard things to hold on to. Sometimes to really grasp God's desire. When the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He don't just mean the good people. He means the molesters. The murderers. The evil. The wretched of whom we all belong. Say so love them all. He gave his most prized possession. His son. To pave the way. That's the love of God. That's one of the attributes of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. God is love. It's mind-blowing. This is what Job's concept is. He says, <clears throat> he says, they are like straw before the wind. He's talking about the wicked. They're like chaff when a storm carries them away. God, they say, God lays up one's iniquity for his children. Let, his recompense, let him recompense him that, that he may know it. He says, they say, Ezekiel comes out and says, this is false. This is what people do. They read the Bible and the Bible says, the sins of the father are passed to the son to the third and fourth generation. And we talk about generational curses. I do not believe that's what the Bible is talking about. I think the Bible is talking about when a father or mother or a person exhibits sin in their life, that that, that 
the consequences of that sin, the examples that they've given, are going to trickle down and not just affect them, they're going to affect their son, and their son's son, and their son's son's son. But God says to Ezekiel, tell my people to stop saying, my father ate sour grapes and my teeth are falling out. God says, I don't judge the children for the father's sin. Everyone is judged for his own. That's what God says. This is what Job's talking about. This is what Job is saying. Look, I know the wicked are like chaff. God's going to blow them away. I I know there's nothing special about them. And I know that people say God's going to pour out his iniquity on their children. But Job's saying, if I'm sinful, God didn't kill my children for my sins. He says, "That's, that's not the God. That's not what God does. Let him recompense him that he may know it. Let the judgment fall on the one who sins. Let his eyes see his destruction. And let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. Job does not sound like a guy who says, Hey, let everybody get away with whatever sin they do. That's not Job's heart. Hey, they should pay. Pay day someday. For what does he care about his household after him? What does a wicked care about his kids? He's selfish. He lives for himself. When the number of his months is cut in half, what does he care? He don't care. He's selfish. He's selfish. That's the (coughs) attribute of the wicked. And then he goes on, beginning in verse 22, that there's nothing in the teachings of God that the death of the wicked is worse than the death of the righteous. Except for the concept that the righteous have the resurrection and the wicked don't. But I'm talking about physical death. Does the wicked die of cancer? Do the wicked have heart attacks? Do the wicked have accidents? Do people murder the wicked? What about the holy or the righteous? Do that all happen to them? So, this is what he's saying. Can anyone teach God knowledge? He judges those on high. It's God's job, not my friends sitting around me. One dies in his full strength, being holy at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow is in his bone, the marrow in his bones is moist. Another dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. Death comes for us all. It has nothing to do with being righteous or not. In God's mercy, sometimes He takes us quick. Sometimes He he allows us to linger. I think I shared with you guys last time, there was a woman, it was a friend of my mom, her name was Kathy, and she had stomach cancer, you guys remember? And she was a big old open wound, they couldn't even close her. Her whole stomach laid open. They had to change her bandages, she's dying, cancer is rotting her from the inside out. Would have been great for the Lord just to take her like that. But you know that every person who come to see her, she prayed for I couldn't even open my mouth to pray for her. I show up to do a pastoral visit and says, Kathy, I want to pray for you. And as soon as I walk in, she goes, Oh, Jackie, I was just thinking about you. I need to pray for you. I want to pray for you. How many people was she a blessing to? Sometimes God has purpose we don't understand. Sometimes in the suffering, God does something in someone we don't even know. I told you before, the children of Israel came to Pihahiroth and Migdal, which is between a rock and a hard place, and across from them was a Red Sea, and behind them was bearing down the armies of Pharaoh. Do you know God told them why He put them there? God said, I put you there so the Egyptians would know there is a God in heaven. Sometimes the things we go through aren't for us at all. It's for someone else to see. It could be a neighbor that doesn't even ever come walking in the house. But I know God has a purpose. And He may not tell me what the purpose is. But I believe my hope is my Redeemer lives. And He's got me. And I don't have to worry about it. And that's where Job's at. That's what He's about. And then He goes on to tell... Zophar, look, this stuff, these, these ideas that you have are all in your imagination. They're not in reality. Look, I know your thoughts <coughs> and the schemes with which you would wrong me. You 
For you say, where is the house of the prince? You get that sarcasm like Job was the richest guy in the east. Oh, where's the high and mighty now? Look at you now. I knew there was something wrong with you. He says, I know what you're talking about. Where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you not asked those who travel the road? And do you not know their signs? For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They will be brought, they shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Job says, the wicked will be judged when they stand before God. That's the day of wrath. Until then, it's life on a fallen world, in a broken place, and we don't always have all the answers. Who condemns his way to his face, and who repays him for what he has done? Yet he shall be brought to the grave, and a vigil kept over the tomb. Everyone, payday someday, the clods of the valley will be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him as countless have gone before him. Then how can you comfort me with these vain words? He says, oh, your speech, there's no comfort. There's no compassion. There's charges. Because you don't understand what's going on in my life. He says, how can you comfort me with vain words since falsehood remains in your answers? You missing the, Like I said, Job doesn't say the wicked aren't judged. The concept is God doesn't bring retribution immediately on someone who's wicked because they've done wrong because God is long-suffering. How long did, did God wait for, for Absalom? The minute Absalom was born, he was going to be bad. God knew all the choices he was going to make. But he waited. What about Judas? The moment he was born, the son of perdition, Jesus himself said, it'd be better for that one if he had never been born. Why did God wait? At the end, did Judas have the same opportunity Peter did? Did he? And in the end, Judas' thoughts were only for himself. And Peter's thoughts were for his Savior. You get the difference? Judas was upset at what he had done, but the focus was me. He had me-itis. He wasn't broken to... And Jesus said he was never mine. He didn't say I lost him. He said he was never mine. He never believed. But he sat at my left hand when we sat to eight. I dipped my bread with him. He was there every time I taught the others. He had every opportunity. God waited. Because it would be just not right if God said, Well, Judas, you're going to be the guy who betray God. You never had a choice, so I'm just going to take you now. He let him live it. He let him make the choices God knew he would make, but he let him make them. Just like he lets all of us. God desires for everyone to be saved. We know that's not going to happen. It doesn't change our job. Our job is to bear witness to the truth. A relationship with with Christ does not mean a pain-free existence. A relationship with Christ doesn't mean I'm not ever going to suffer. A relationship with Christ doesn't mean life's always going to be easy. But what it does mean is I know my Redeemer lives. And He's going to take care of me. And I'm going to see Him one day. And I'm going to be in glory. So my focus isn't on me. My focus is on Him. He will do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in each of us. Job is God's champion. In the middle of a spiritual battle. And some of us are in the middle of our own. Right? And Job's, what we learn from Job, 
Job's not angry at his friends either. Because at the end, what's Job do for him? Prays for him. He could have let bad stuff happen to him. Say, oh, let's see how you guys like that. Them sores suck, let me tell you. And you're, now you're going to get them. Uh, he didn't do that. He prayed for them so that they wouldn't go through it. He prayed for them. They're his friends. They love him and he loves them. But they have a misunderstanding about God. That ever happened to you? Where, where friends who care about one another have different opinions or understandings about God? No? It happens to me all the time. I just call that family. Look, if you're going to be involved in people's lives, people are messy. You're going to get it all over you. And that's what God calls us to. You don't want relationships? I don't know what you're doing here. God calls us. He says, do not forsake the assembling together as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, get together. Be a family. I don't know how your family is. My family's a mess. Me and my brothers, we fight and bicker and squabble, and then you add all the wives in, and pretty soon some of them do. But we also have good times, don't we? Family of God's just like that. Family of God's just like that. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. It should be that way. It's okay. That's how family works. All I know is my brothers are my brothers forever. My brothers in the Lord are my brothers forever, just like my blood brothers. Doesn't mean I won't be mad or upset or bummed. But you will always be my family. That's what God calls us to. And prayerfully, when we're going through stuff, we'll do better for each other than Job's friends did for him. The heart was still there, but prayerfully with the Holy Spirit, we'll do better. But I promise we're going to get stuff on us. Don't be afraid of dirty hands, bloody nose, black eye. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knows what he's doing. He's going to win. And one day we're going to stand with him together with the people in this church and the church down the street and the one down the block and the one over there and the one over there. There ain't no walls in the church of Jesus Christ.